Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio. I'm Felicity Duncan and with me, Alec Hug. One of the most important companies in South Africa is Naspers. And uh, Naspers has gone through a lot of evolutions and changes over the course of its life, becoming a uh, global tech investment firm of note, uh, making a huge uh, investment in Tencent and seeing that gain a ton of value. And of course, then the, the spin-off of some of those global assets, the creation of process. And uh, right now, there's been a lot of focus on food delivery. For example, Process Hum has uh, made a what what is described as a hostile takeover bid, really is just an unsolicited takeover bid for the UK's Just Eat, which is a food delivery service, much like the local uh, Mr. Delivery type thing, um, and then walked away from that fight. And I know that you caught up with CEO Bob Van Dijk this week and had a very interesting conversation with him. Let's talk a little bit about their uh, their food delivery operations and what happened with that uh, failed bid there for Just Eat? Yeah, it, it's, it was certainly uh, something that kept not just South African investors, but global investors, or those in the UK anyway, very interested, because this has been a one of the more um, um, higher profile uh, hostile takeover bids. I know Bob van Dijk said it, uh, there was nothing hostile about it in his mind, but when you do have uh, a big company that's in play and a hundred billion rand that could and would change hands, uh, you, you and you're unsolicited, you can't really call. It's certainly not friendly anyway. But the the transaction didn't go through, didn't go uh, processes way, in theory, but in practice, it definitely did because the share price of process ever since it became apparent that they were going to lose the battle actually went up 22 percent it had been it had been sagging up to that point and why the investors really liked the fact that process walked away was that it showed discipline now if you just think about it in my interview with uh, bob van dijk i asked him how much their war chest was and he said well they've got about 10 billion dollars in cash uh, and they have access to quite a lot more, as we saw from the bond issue that they did for a billion dollars that was five times oversubscribed. So for them to swallow up a company that was going to be worth about $7 billion was was definitely uh, easily within their capabilities. And more than that, they could have pushed that number up considerably higher had they got uh, white line fever, as the rugby players would put it. They didn't. They were disciplined. They had a number that they decided upon. And they, although being far better resourced than the competitor in this takeover bid, uh, they walked away because they felt it was too expensive. And shareholders or investors around the world, particularly in Amsterdam, where they, their primary listing is, and in Johannesburg, uh, rewarded the company and pushed up the share price accordingly. In fact, I see this is now getting close to its all-time high of uh, over two and a half. Well, it's just gone above two and a half thousand rand a share. Um, and that's also a reflection of process doing the right thing. So all around. Pretty, a pretty good story for, for, for process. It's very interesting you say that. And you're right, because very often we've seen in 
uh, not only, of course, in South African companies, but around the world, we've seen these these uh, mergers or acquisitions that have been aggressively pursued, have ended up being very costly and have failed to deliver on what they promise. In fact, the vast majority of acquisitions and mergers fail to deliver what was promised for various reasons, you know, maybe corporate cultures are different or um, the proposed cost savings didn't really exist. So it is um, it is very exciting to see a company sort of taking a sensible approach and walking away. Um, but some of the uh, discussion I've seen around this has also pointed to the fact that uh, margins in food delivery, particularly in very competitive markets such as the UK, where there are multiple operators uh, backed by huge amounts of venture capital that are aggressively discounting their service in a bid to gain market share. So margins in those types of markets for food delivery have been very, very, very dismal, very negative. People are losing a lot of money. And uh, that perhaps it, there's an argument for process focusing its attentions on the uh, other markets in which it operates, the emerging markets where there's less competition, there's less um, aggressive price competition, and there's the potential for that to be profitable in a way that there's not a clear path to profitability in a lot of these developed markets. It's a very good point, and it was uh, one that was raised by Jean-Pierre Feste in an interview that I had with him ahead of my discussion with Bob van Dijk. He uh, pointed out that Maitang Dianping, which is the third, the number three internet company in China behind Alibaba and Tencent, uh, this company, which is in food delivery, it's the Uber Eats and the Uber. It's also in the, the uh, uh, what do you call it, the taxi service, I suppose, in China, and it's got a dominant position. It's only just started to make money, and it's only started to make money because it's moved, it's it's leveraged its uh, its food delivery contact the contacts into other areas and where they're much higher margins. And his view, John Pierre Fester's view, was that Bob Van Dyke should consider this, uh, not getting too hit up in food delivery, but looking in the same way as uh, Mike Tang Dianping is doing uh, into other areas. I asked Bob about this, and he made some very interesting comments on it, which are not immediately uh, appreciated by investors in Process or in NASPAS. Now, we know that NASPAS is the biggest shareholder in Tencent, which is the, the huge internet giant in China. In fact, the share price of NASPAS trades at a substantial discount to its share holding in Tencent alone. It owns 31% of Tencent. That also gives it two directors – on the board of directors of, of Tencent. And Tencent owns 20% of Maitong Dianping. So Tencent has directors on, if you like, the Uber and Uber Eats of China, which is very dominant in that market. So Bob van Dijk, being NASPAS stroke process, has got a clear picture into what Maitong Dianping is doing and how it's making its money in China through from food, food delivery and, of course, going into other areas where uh, there are higher margins. And he can then use that as a basis from which to structure his own business, much smaller business, but substantial in its own right, uh, in the areas where they operate. So it's really, really fascinating to see. Uh, I, I, I did, in the interview, tap into this in, in some detail with him. And he said, yes, they're very close to the Maitong Dianping uh, team. They often meet. They invite them to all of their events. They share war stories. 
because they are part of the same family. And that's something that that benefit, that soft benefit, if you like, is something that shareholders or investors outside of the inner circle of, of these companies don't quite appreciate. They don't quite fulfill. You know, it's interesting to see that Apple is now, what, three, nearly $320 a share. I remember we, we bought in, in our global portfolio at about $120, went down to $90. Um, but of course, it's looking like a fabulous investment now. But our argument all along was to do with the ecosystem, was to do with the fact that the devices which the market was valuing Apple on, i.e. the sale of its of its iPhones, was only a small part of the story, that the real story was the ecosystem, was the, the information, the data, the the insights that it would get and what it can put into that ecosystem where the devices, I believe that the latest number is 1.4 billion Apple devices are, are around the world, but the services it could sell there. But this intellectual capital, the 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 insights that are provided from Apple, and, and that's now, that penny has now dropped there. But when you look at process, stroke Nasper's, and then you've got Tencent and uh, Maitang Dianping as part of this big grouping, the penny needs to drop there as well, that they are able to learn from each other and to apply the lessons from each other. And I think that's, that's just uh, a, a sense that investors are taking a little while to catch on to investors in uh, in the, the big South African giant, although to see Nasdaq's share price go above uh, two and a half thousand rand uh, each this past week does give you an indication that somebody's thinking along those lines. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I myself have thought for a long time that food delivery is not in and of itself something that people are going to make money off. There's just even with better data, there's still just a lot of um, logistical costs associated with that. But it's interesting to think about using the information that they get to move into other areas. You see companies doing that like Grubhub, for example. They um, say explicitly in their financial results, um, they're sorry, the Grubhub is a, the biggest, well, was the biggest food delivery company in the U.S., although the market's changed um, to become more competitive now. But what they, they say is, look, food delivery is not actually profitable for us, but we do make money because we sell advertising and we provide these other services around that core loss-making um, operation. So good to think that uh, that the 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 brain trust at uh, Naspers is also thinking in those lines and not thinking, you know, literally food delivery, taking food from place A to B is where we're going to make the money, but thinking more broadly about it. Um, and that's you know really, Alec, one of the benefits about of uh, operating into in international markets and investing in international markets is that you have access to markets that are different, that are structured differently, and as you say, to a lot of knowledge and experience and expertise that you otherwise wouldn't. And I think that um, in your call with uh, John Pierre Fester, one of the things that you were talking about was this move into international markets and this internationalization, if you like, of investment in South Africa. It was a huge privilege for uh, me to be based in the UK for three years because it exposed me to that way of thinking. And I think by the same token, You've spent a lot of time in the United States. You're based in Europe at the moment. You do get exposed to very, very different insights to those that you would uh, see day to day being stuck on the, um, yeah, on the tip, southern tip of, of Africa. We, 
It, it sometimes, it sometimes uh, is forgotten in South Africa that we're only half a percent of global GDP and that the number of shares on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange are, by, by the same measure, a tiny fraction of what is available in the rest of the world. And in 2014, Standard Bank Online Share Trading introduced to South Africa something that they call Web Trader. And Web Trader allowed South Africans to invest in any stock market in the world. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful innovation that they brought through. And because exchange control is relaxed to such a degree, up to a million rand that you invest in those stock markets doesn't have to go through the arduous process of uh, applying for exchange control approval. So as a consequence, you can open an account with them and invest in those shares. And of course, Santa Bank was saying, how are we going to get South Africans to start thinking about international markets? Ah, here's Biz News. They're innovative. Why don't we ask them to work with us to put together uh, some kind of idea? We came up with the, the idea of a, uh, a global portfolio. Uh, we then invested in stocks, Warren Buffett type style, and then exponential type stocks. And that portfolio has done unbelievably well relative to the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, which has had a pretty torrid past six years. So as a consequence of that, there are lots, hundreds, maybe thousands of South Africans who've started to see that they can earn, they can preserve their wealth by investing in the 99% of shares that aren't listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And I think this whole global uh, move is just, it's just gathering more and more momentum, particularly when you see the relative performances of those stock markets and South Africa's stock market. So when Jean-Pierre Fuste wrote a, a piece for the Financial Mail last week about his five top uh, stock picks for 2020, uh, they're all in global markets. And when I spoke with him in our interview, he said they began a global fund a few years ago, and that has actually generated around 17 or 18 percent, I think he said, after all expenses for their clients, where, of course, the JSC has been flat. So his clients are smiling and they want more. And we're seeing that in many different areas. If you invest in a area which is delivering a higher return, uh, then the capital flows towards it. So in one sense, uh, it is concerning that money is leaving South Africa. But in another sense, what is very positive is that South Africans as a whole are now starting to discover the rest of the world and they're discovering that they don't have to leave the country to participate. They can participate by living in our beautiful country and the wonderful sunshine with all our challenges that we have, but they can participate by investing in those uh, entities with a little bit of knowledge that you can gain from people like Jean-Pierre Fester or other professionals or indeed from Biz News. So all around, I, I just think it's such a positive development. Absolutely. And uh, as you were saying, there are a growing array of alternatives for South Africans. They don't have to uh, stick with one set of products, but that there's a lot of options for them. Uh, what would you say to people who worry about the currency risk side of things? Well, the South African uh, currency has over time been weaker, uh, and that's because the inflation rate here is higher than in most parts of the world, and the economic growth rate in South Africa is lower, unfortunately, um, for, well, we, we know it's been very well documented, the, the missteps that were taken by the Zuma regime and so on. We're getting our economic act together, but it 
it, it would take a very brave person to say that South Africa's currency is going to appreciate on a long-term basis against uh, the major currencies in other parts of the world simply because of the inflationary differential. So that's really the basis that you come from. The investment into international uh, areas, in fact, any investment into equities, has to be taken on a five-year basis. So as a consequence of that, over five years, you are unlikely to do worse by investing through rands into dollars uh, than by staying in rands. And I think the, the, the longer-term trend is telling us that. But that's only part of the story. When you take the currency out of the way, and what we, try to, what we say to people who invest in the global portfolios, that you've got to try and reduce the exposure or the, the volatility of the currency by staggering your investments. So we would say if you've got $100,000 to invest, do 30000 this month, 30000 next month, 30000 the following month, and that at least gives you uh, or, or offsets the currency risk. But you will be looking, you should be looking for great companies that are doing uh, that, that are not exposed just to one geography, that, that, that give you the diversity of many geographies and are in sectors which are either growing or where they're disrupting and they are growing more rapidly than those sectors. And that will offset currency risk in the long term anyway. So it's, it's one of those things. You've got 99% of the stocks available to you are outside of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Why not start doing some more work on them? And we're seeing, uh, because the returns have been so much higher, that's what people are doing. People who previously were uh, blinkered and focused just on the JSE, and I guess exchange control had a lot to do with it, are now looking elsewhere, and it's just a natural progression. That's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a summary of this interview, there's one up in the premium section of biznews.com. You can sign up for premium just £5 a month, and that'll give you access to our uh, great content and to the content available on the Wall Street Journal. 